I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. And let me just give you a, let me just mention this really quick as well. I want to, again, I want to thank all of those who were involved in uh, Vacation Bible School, those who taught, those who uh, helped with crafts, those who helped with snacks, those who ran the van route, and, and just every aspect. There was, there was close to 30 workers, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that helped with VBS, and we certainly appreciate that. We had 14 first-time visitors. Uh, we had 11 children saved. And uh, we certainly thank the Lord for that. And that's a tribute to our church. That's all the work that, that was put into it. And, uh, and I praise the Lord for that. And I thank you for uh, your work that you invested. I know it was a lot of time and a lot of effort. And we are here every night from Wednesday to Saturday. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your involvement and help with that. So I want to give that many report. Acts chapter number 2. And I want to preach this evening as I was thinking about it and I was looking. Of course, we finished up our series on Romans. And uh, as I was thinking about everything and, and I'm looking and next week, uh, of course, is Anniversary Sunday. I thought, you know, I, the Lord kind of put it on my heart. Where are we going as a church? And, uh, and I think that's important. I think that's something that we need to understand as a church. So Acts chapter number 2, verse number 41, the Bible says this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles." And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. And let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. And God, we thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your house on a Sunday night. Father, and I pray that you would bless each and every person that's here. And God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, God. And certainly we'll thank you for that. And uh, we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. As I thought about that and I read that text, I didn't put my title with my text until later, and I thought, uh, no, we're not going communist, okay? I'll state that right up front. Some of you is getting nervous and saying, man, pastor's going to ask us all to sell everything, and, and we're going to build uh, condominiums out on our property, and we'll all move in here. No, that's not what we're doing, okay? Uh, so don't, don't take that at all. As we look at the, uh, the text here in the book of Acts, I do want to say this, and I was going to say this anyways, that not everything that you see in the book of Acts can or should be replicated. It was not a perfect church. Matter of fact, uh, one of the flaws, glaring flaws, that's interesting as you go through the book of Acts is in Acts 1.8, uh, Jesus had commanded them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, he said, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you should be witnesses unto me, uh, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We find 
that they didn't really do that. Now, this is a good example of that they did. There were a lot of people saved, but as time went on, that kind of got neglected. And you get to Acts chapter 8, and the Lord sends persecution to the church to help scatter them abroad because they were all ministering right in that one spot. And they were not going out. And they were not reaching all the areas. And the way to remember that is Acts 1.8 is the command. And Acts 8.1, uh, the inverse of that, uh, is, is the persecution that God sent to the church to help spread them out. And they certainly did get spread out. And so I just say that to say that they were not a perfect church. Um, and so not everything that they do will be replicated but, uh, but I, I want to look at this text because there's some things that are certainly something that we should replicate. And, uh, and as we think about it, where are we going as a church? I thought, boy, this is a good Sunday to deal with that since we're having anniversary Sunday next Sunday. And uh, while I was in Italy, one of the things that my wife and I got to do, and I really kind of enjoyed it actually, is uh, ride trains. And, uh, and we took several train trips, and I remember we had gotten there just on, even on our survey trip, and we didn't know Italian, and uh, we knew Spanish and uh, English, but not really Italian. And, and uh, the missionary that we were visiting, he said, he said, well, just take a train tip, trip up to this place. And I, I was nervous. I said, man, I, I don't know Italian. I'm not for sure about this. I mean, uh, you know, once you get away from Rome, which we were not even in Rome, once you get away from the main tourism capitals, English becomes kind of sparse. I mean, you don't hear it everywhere. And so I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I'm ready for a train trip. But he said, yeah, it's easy. He said, you go down, you get this tr train, and it'll take you up to this little town, and, uh, and you can spend Sunday afternoon with him, and then you catch the train back in the afternoon after church, and, uh, and it'll bring you back, and you can spend some time with us and, and get back here that night. And I thought, okay, we'll do that. And so we went to that train station, and, you know, when you get to the train station, I mean, uh, we didn't speak Italian. And so you kind of have to know where the trains are going. you got to know which train to get on, because if you get it wrong, you could end up in the wrong town. And uh, even if you know the town names in English, they're not the same. I wrote a few down for you to give you an example. Rome, we know that one. That one's kind of easy because it's Roma, uh, so that's not so difficult. But there's some more difficult ones. Milan, we kind of know that, is Milano. That's not too hard. But then you get to Venice, okay? And everyone's heard of Venice. It's not Venice in Italian. It's Venezia. And so that's quite a bit different. Um, and then there's Naples. And, uh, and, and that's Napoli, okay? Uh, it's not the same. It, it gets even more different. Then there's, here's the one that kicks everyone ready, uh, Florence. We all have heard of that. It's Firenze. It's not anything close to Florence. And so you're getting there and you're looking, you're seeing signs and you're like, man, what was that town we were going to? Not in English, in Italian. You have to know the right one that you're going to and the destination that that train is going to take you. And it gets important to understand and know where you're going. I preached this morning on being a godly man. And you have to, you have to with your life, uh, head in the direction of becoming a godly man. And so as a church, uh, we're kind of like a train station. And I think, hey, you need to know which way the train is going. Because we live in a day and age where a church is not clear enough uh, because... They can be going that way, to be all honest with you. 
I mean, they can be going that away. Uh, every church is going a different direction, and every church has a different, uh, a different sign posted out front and different signals. And so I want us to understand that where we as a church are going, I believe that's important uh, for us to understand. And so just as we look at this, uh, I want us to understand a few things. A couple of the words that really stood out to me. Look with me in verse number 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And the words continue and steadfast. The word continue means to remain in a state or place to abide for any time indefinitely, to endure, last, permanent, or persevere. And, uh, and I like that word. The Bible says that they continued, they persevered, they remained uh, constant and faithful uh, to the apostles' doctrine. Steadfast means constant, firm, resolute, not fickering, fickle, or wavering. I combined two words there. Not fickle or wavering or established. And as we look at these verses, I want us to understand uh, that, that, hey, as a church, these, this is the direction we're going because the Bible lays it out for us. And the Bible says, and they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. One of the things that they did get right was, hey, they took the Word of God and they said, hey, we are going to preach the Word of God. That's the direction that we're going, that we're going to preach the doctrines. They continued in those things. I just jotted down several of the doctrines that I believe are, are so important for today's day and age. And one of them, of course, is the doctrine of salvation. Hey, we're still preaching the same doctrine. We're going to continue forward in what we've taught and preached in the past. The Bible says in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hey, that's what we believe. We believe the Bible. And uh, we still believe that whosoever will may get saved. We are not Calvinistic. We are not going to become Calvinistic. And you say, what's, what's Calvinism? Calvinism is uh, the people who study the Bible so much that they, uh, they, they kind of puff themselves up with knowledge, to be honest with you, and they figure that God selects certain people. And those people are going to heaven, and then all the rest of them, they're not going to heaven. The problem with that is God said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I have a problem with that. God died for all people. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we're going to continue uh, preaching the same doctrine as the, the apostles did. And listen, that's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's what the Bible says. And so we're going to continue in the doc preaching the doctrine of salvation. Hey, we're going to continue preaching the doctrine of eternal security. Hey, listen, um, when you get saved, you only got to get saved one time. Praise the Lord. You don't have to get saved over and over and over and over again. I know a lot of church kids grow up in church 
and, uh, and they hear the gospel, and at a tender young age, they trust the Lord, and later they have doubts. Hey, listen, I, that's my testimony, to be honest with you. When I was five years old, I trusted the Lord. Later on, I had doubts, and I hit about 12 years old, and they said, you know what? If you're struggling with it, go ahead and do it again, and act like it's the first time, and, and that way you'll know. I agree with that. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. And, and I, that way, hey, I know for sure if, if I was truly saved at five, then you know what? It didn't hurt anything for me to trust the Lord at 12. It didn't hurt anything. Uh, but I know for sure that I'm going to heaven because I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I am saying is, hey, listen, you get saved and then you sin. Next week, you don't have to get saved again. I heard it said this way, and I, I loved it. I thought, boy, I've never heard that before. Um, the preacher said, John said in uh, John 3, he, Jesus said this, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You know, Jesus said you must be born again. Not again and again and again and again and again. Hey, you only got to get born twice. You're born once physically. You're here, so I see you. So you must have been born at least once. And then you're born again at salvation, and that's all you need. You don't have to get born a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time. Jesus didn't say that. He said you must be born again as a second time, and that is salvation. One of the most simple verses in the Bible, and we quote it, and you see it everywhere in sporting events, John 3, 16. I love that. The Bible says this, and you know the verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love that verse. So simple. When's the end of everlasting? It doesn't end. What Jesus gave us was life that would last forever. There is no end to that. That is eternal security. We could go through a lot of verses, but I'm just saying we're going to continue as the apostles did, preaching the doctrine of salvation, preaching the doctrine of security, preaching the doctrine of separation. Hey, the Bible still says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He goes on and says, and be, uh, let me go back to that verse because I think it was the first part and I can't jump in in the middle because I'll mess it all up. He says, uh, the second verse, and be not conformed to this world. Hey, listen, we are not striving to, to, to conform ourselves to the world's philosophy and the world's ideas. We're trying to, to, to follow what God has said. And he goes on and he says this. He says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every day we go out in this world. And every day our mind is infiltrated with the philosophy and ideas of the world. They are pounded into our heads on the radio. They're pounded into our heads on the TV. They're pounded into our heads on the internet. They're pounded into your heads on email, text message, billboards, gas stations. Everywhere you go, the world is constantly pounding its philosophies into your mind. Hey, we've got to be renewed. 
We've got to get that stuff out of our mind. The church is the church of the living God. It is not the church of the world. We're not seeking to go after the world and follow after what they are striving to do. We're trying to accomplish God's holy purpose. And it is a far cry from what the world is doing. So we still believe in separation from the world. Hey, the worldly practices. And I'm not striving. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily wrong uh, to be update. But I'm, listen, I'm not... Look at me, you know I'm not trying to follow the fads of the world. I mean, that becomes apparent. I don't think it's bad to be updated. I don't think that's wrong uh, per se. But I tell you what, my goal is not, well, I want to look like, I, oh, what's the latest fad? Oh, I got to get rid of this and get rid of this. I got I to dress just like everyone else. I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in what does God think about what I'm wearing? What does God think about the way I live? I want, I want our, our practices to be separated unto God. And he wants us to be separated from the world. Not only that, but worldly philosophies. As I said, we're bombarded with them. The Bible says in two, Titus chapter 2 and verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world. Hey, God wants us to live a godly life. God wants us to live a right life. And I'm not interested in following worldly philosophies. I'm not interested in following wicked pra uh, worldly practices. I'm not interested in following wickedness. Because God's not interested in that. And I don't think the early church was. I, I think that's some of the doctrines uh, that they would adhere to. The doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of security, the doctrine of separation. How about the doctrine of sanctification? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. About setting our lives aside for God's work. Hey, that He wants us to serve Him. He wants us to, to be workers for Him. And, and for His work and for His will. The doctrine of sanctification. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, um, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship. Hey, he created us so that we can work and serve him. He wants us to be vessels that are set aside for his service and for his will and for his work. So some doctrines that we're going to stand on. Not only that, but hey, this is an important one. The doctrine of the second coming. Praise the Lord, He's coming again. Hey, we still believe that. You say, preacher, it's been 2,000 years. Oh, I know. And, and listen, they were scoffing in Peter's day too. That's why he wrote all of that. He said, in the last days, scoffers shall come. And, and, and men are, are going to say, hey, all things continue just as they always were. And, and where's his coming? And I'm just telling you, Jesus said he would come and he's going to. Uh, go with me to Titus chapter 2. I want you to see that. Probably should have hit that verse when we were looking at Titus 2.12. Well, we'll hit them both. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter number 2. Right before Hebrews, all the, the Lord put all the T's together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Help us out. Titus chapter number 2 and verse number... Let's go to verse 12. We'll read the context of that verse. Let's go to verse 10. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 10. The Bible says this, For there are many unruler and vain talkers, 
and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, of their own said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. And I'm in the wrong chapter. But boy, that was a good passage. Let's go to verse chapter 2 and verse number. I wasn't going to, I went to 10 because that was a paragraph mark at the end of the sentence. Uh, let's go to verse number 12 because I'm all, let's go to verse number 11. Chapter 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Let me just stop right there and tell you that they lived in just as wicked of a day that we do today. Sometimes we have in this mindset that our world's more wicked today than it was back then. Listen to me, the government was trying to shut them down, and they, they were not interested in them preaching. And how many times did Peter and Paul get thrown in jail? I'm just saying, things were wicked in that day. And he was telling them then, you can and you should live a godly life. So verse number 13, look with me there. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And he co boy, he covers about everything right there. He's saying, hey, you can live godly, and as you're living godly, look for the blessed coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard it said, I think it was Brother Sam Davison, if I'm not mistaken, preached this um, probably a couple months ago, and I heard him say, I don't remember if it was here or elsewhere, and, uh, and he said this, hey, we ought not be looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're tired of the wickedness around us. Some of us are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're just tired. We're tired of fighting the wickedness. We're tired of, of, of living in a society that's full of evil. But he said we ought to be looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus because we love His appearing. Oh, how I want to be with Him. Oh, how I want to see Him. Not because we're tired of our, our, our life and tired of where we're at. I, I mean, they lived in a wicked day then, but we ought to actually genuinely love the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm just saying, uh, back in Acts chapter number 2, they said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And that's just a few of the doctrines that I believe are pertinent and 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 important for our day and age in which we live. They continued steadfastly. We're going to continue preaching those same doctrines. Verse 42, and I love this, he says, uh, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Not just preaching the doctrines, but listen, praying. We have got to be a praying church. I have got to be a praying preacher. You have got to be a praying member. 
hey, we don't need to, to operate the, the, the work of God in the power of the flesh. That, that'll get us nowhere. We have got to work the, the work of God in the power of God. And that comes from praying people. That comes from spending time in prayer. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 4. Save your spot in Acts. We'll be back there. The early church was a praying church. Listen, we need to be a praying church. We need to continue to be a praying church as we have been. And, uh, and that's something that we've got to continue. That's the direction that we're headed, that we're going to continue preaching the same doctrine. We're going to continue praying the same way. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 15. And these are wonderful verses. The Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I love that verse. That is such a, a helpful verse because what it tells me is that Jesus understands the temptation and the pressure that we are under, but He was without sin. He was perfect. We're not. We're sinners. And, and, but He does understand the, the amount of temptation. You think you and I are tempted? Could you imagine the temptation that Jesus Christ was under? He was the Son of God. You don't think the devil knew that? You don't think the devil tried everything? You don't think he pulled every, uh, every play out of the book? You don't think he sat and contemplated for a long time about how he was going to get the perfect holy Son of God to fall into sin? I'm telling you, the temptation of Jesus Christ was probably far greater than anything that you and I have experienced. But he was without sin. He didn't give in to it. And so Jesus understands temptation. You know what that means? He's approachable. We can go to him. Look at what it says in verse 16. Let us therefore, because he has been tempted like we, but he is perfect and without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a wonderful set of verses right there that, hey, praying draws you closer to God. Boy, if there's anything we need, we need to be a praying church so that we can draw closer to God. Listen, it's hard to draw close to God if you're not talking to Him. You know, when, um, when some of this may resonate with some of you more than others, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're engaged and you're going to get married in August, and, you know, um, then you're probably more prone to talk to that person. I mean, uh, I remember it was a couple months ago, actually, and, and I, don't, I, I don't usually use my kids, but this is funny, so I will. Mariah says, my phone won't work. I said, what do you mean your phone won't work? She said, I, I can't get calls. I'm like, well, that's weird. And so I, I called the company, and I said, what's going on? My daughter's phone won't work. And they said, well, she ran out of minutes. I said, we have unlimited minutes. They said, oh yeah, you do have unlimited minutes, but there is a cap on those minutes. And when you reach the cap, you have to call us and we'll reset it. And none of us have never hit that cap before. So I'm just saying, you want to have a good relationship, you know what it requires? That you talk to the other person. 
It's got to be, you have to communicate, you have to talk, you have to spend time. Hey, listen, how much do we spend time in prayer with God? How much do we spend time in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? He loves us and wants to communicate with us. Hey, we've got to spend, he's given us the means, he's given us the way to go to him in prayer. We just got to do it. Get on our knees and spend time in prayer. It will draw you closer to God every time you call, every time you spend with Him. We need to, we need to be drawn to God. We need God's grace to keep serving. We need God's grace to keep us straight. We need God's grace as we serve Him and do what He would have us to do. We've got to be a praying church. The church there in uh, the early church was a praying church. Go with me to Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12. I love this passage. I referenced it a couple, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Everything runs together when you preach three times a week. But Acts chapter number 12 and verse number, verse number 11. This is an awesome story. Peter was thrown in prison in all reality, and he was in prison, and some people were gathering, and they were praying for him. Acts chapter number 12, and start in verse number 11. The Bible says, and when Peter was come to himself, let me back up and tell you what happened. Uh, Peter basically was in prison, and as he was there, an angel of the Lord showed up to him and said, arise, Peter. And so uh, you go back and read it. I love it. He actually had to buckle his shoes on. He said, just a minute, let me put my shoes on. He's buckling his sandals up and, and gets his sandals on, and he goes to stand up, and, he, and the chains just fall off of him. And, uh, and Peter thinks he's seeing a vision. He thinks he's dreaming. He doesn't think any of it's real. And, 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 and he's following this angel out, and they get to the first gate, and the gate automatically opens. I mean, there's the first automatic doors, all right, in the Bible. They open right up. And Peter thinks, man, I'm dreaming. This is not real. They walk out in the second gate. Boom, the doors just open right up. And out they walk. And then Peter is standing there in the street. And I assume that the angel left if my memory serves me. And, uh, and that's where we pick up in verse number 11. And the Bible says, and when Peter was come to himself, I think he pinched himself. Maybe he slapped his face. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to uh, the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoned unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. This passage is just a remarkable passage. 
Peter was in prison, and here is a, a group of believers, a group of people that are gathered together in a house, and they are praying, presumably late at night, at midnight. And uh, as they're praying, the Lord comes and, and releases Peter from prison. I tell you what, wonderful things happen when people get together and pray. And I'm just saying that God is able to do things. I imagine at that prayer meeting, listen, those people were drawn closer together. I mean, could you imagine next week they're talking about it? Maybe they're all gathered. Maybe they're praying. Man, last week was awesome. Can you believe Rhoda forgot to open the door? And I think they were laughing about it. I think it was probably funny. I mean, I think they're just kind of, you know, joking. Man, that was unbelievable that God went and, and released Peter from prison. Praise the Lord. We need to pray some more. I mean, I could just see the encouragement and, and their faces as they're saying, man, we have got to do this. And they saw Peter release. They saw, uh, you could see their gladness. And as they experienced those things, hey, listen, it drove them closer one to another. And as a church prays for things, hey, listen, when we unite in prayer for the same goals and for the same things, and we see those things accomplished, man, we can rejoice together and say, man, praise the Lord. The Lord did that. Hey, we had a great VBS, and those that were praying, man, praise the Lord. The Lord did that. That's something that the Lord did. And I'm just saying we ought to draw uh, closer one to another as we pray as a church collectively for these things. And we ought to be praying. Prayer accomplishes things that we cannot accomplish. This story right here is proof of that. And there's verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible that substantiates the fact. I mean, look at these were these were just people. They were gathered together. They could have gone to the they could have gone to the uh, to the council. They could have gone to city council. They could have gone to the mayor. They could have gone to the lawyer. They could have hired uh, different things and and fought all of it. But can I tell you something? That prayer got it done a lot faster. Hey, prayer ought to be our first response. And I'm not saying we just don't do any of those other things, uh, but I am saying our, our first priority ought to be prayer, and God will accomplish things that we cannot. The Bible says in Matthew 21, 22, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. I'm just saying that God says, hey, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, Boy, great things will take place. We need to pray. We need to be a praying church. They continued in preaching the same doctrine, teaching and preaching the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in prayer. God, help us to be a praying church. God, help us to be a preaching church that sticks to the doctrines. Listen, look at verse number 47, and I love this. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. We're going to continue being a church that is preaching the apostles' doctrine. We're going to be continue being a church that is praying church. We're going to continue being a church that is praising the Lord. This church praised the Lord. I thought of this song. Lord brought this to my mind. Heartland Baptist Bible College sings it. And the words say this, they say times are changing, so we should change too. 
trade our old-time religion for something new. By the way, that's not a new concept. That's been around for years. They have been trying for years to drive the church to the world. It's not a new concept. Let me go back. They say times are changing, so we should change too. Trade our old-time religion for something new. Our faith is outdated. Why live in the past? Well, my answer is simple. So if you ask, I still love to hear how God's love paid the cost. As passion was fastened by nails to a cross. I still love the sound as the saints start to sing the song of the blood Jesus shed just for me. I still love an altar where broken ones pray and find what is found in no other way. It may be old-fashioned, but it's real still. So I'll stay on the old path that brought us thus far, that saved countless millions and reached hardened hearts. And though times are changing and forever will, there'll still be one Savior, one Calvary's hill. Hey, listen, we don't have to swing to the world and praise the world. The world's constantly pulling on the church, constantly trying to get us to... to to fall on this side or that side. And I'm just saying, we're not chasing the world in our praise. Hey, there's nothing wrong with our good old-fashioned hymn book. I love the hymns. Man, the songs that we sing. I tell you what, some of the new songs, uh, some of them are okay, but some of them are just like, man, they don't contain what these old hymns have. The doctrine that is just put out in the hymns that we sing. And I'm just saying, we're going to continue to be a praising church. We're going to praise the Lord just the way I think they did in Bible times. We don't have to adapt to the world and follow all the trends of the world. Hey, the, uh, we don't have time to go there, but you go in your Bible and you look up 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse number 11 through 14. It's when Solomon had built the temple of God and it was the first ceremony and they were about to dedicate it. Probably a couple of years ago I preached on this and the men that were established to lead the worship service for that service, they were godly men. Boy, that's missing in a lot of our music industry today. Godliness is forsaken. I have a good friend, and um, um, he, he was in uh, a lot of that scene, a lot of the uh, music. And he said, boy, there, there's just an absence of godliness. My dad said something years ago, and I've just kind of stuck to it. He said... He said, usually, not always, but usually when a group starts to sell their um, music through a producer, it goes south from there. It just goes bad. Why is that? Well, because the producer's pulling. You've got to sell more records. You've got to sell more labels. You've got to do this. You've got to incorporate drums. You've got to do all this. You've got you to have the new sound and all of this so that they can sell more. And, and I'm just telling you that, listen, we've got to have godliness involved in our music. The Bible says it this way, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We need to praise the Lord with godly music. Music that would honor and glorify God. And listen, our church... What's the direction? Where are we going as a church? Hey, we're going to preach the same doctrines we've been preaching for the past 20 years. We're going to pray 
like we have been for the past 20 years. Hey, we're going to continue praising the Lord as we have been. That's the direction we're going. There's, it's nothing, hey, we're doing what the apostles and what the, what the disciples did 2,000 years ago when Jesus left them. And that's, hey, we want to see people saved, baptized, and added to the church. That is the same idea. We don't have to follow the world. We don't have to be uh, up on everything that is going on in that world. Hey, we do need to be up on what God wants from us. We do need to be following God. One of the things, I uh, talked to my wife even on the way to church tonight, and it came up, and the Lord broke my heart this week for all these bus kids that come to our church. And I thought, man, we, we have got to reach their families, their moms and their dads. I'm telling you, these kids that come to our church, They're dealing with stuff I couldn't even imagine growing up the way some of these kids do. We got to pray. We got to reach them. Their moms and dads, they need Christ. They need to be saved. We've got to reach them. If we don't, who else is going to do it? Who else is going to reach them? Who else is going to give them the gospel? Who else is going to teach them the word of God? We've got to reach them. God burdened my heart with those parents, those kids. and We've got to do something to reach them with the gospel. We don't have to act like the world. We don't, they, they don't even want us to act like the world. They want to see the difference. They want to see us love on them and care about them and teach them the word of God. They're interested in that. That's what we need to give them, that God will change their life. That's what we got to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Where are we going as church? Same place we've been going for 20 years. We're just going to keep serving the Lord, preaching the same doctrines, praying, praising the Lord. Reaching souls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. God, thank you for our salvation. God, thank you for a Christian home that I grew up in. God, my heart goes out to these kids. The homes they live in the things they face every day. God, may we be concerned with reaching them, reaching their parents, seeing them saved. God, it's not an easy work, and I know that. But God, it's something that you can do. And God, we just want to be a tool in your hand that's usable, that you could use us. God, that we could see families, broken families mended, blended families coming to church. God, lives being changed because of who you are and what you've done. God, I pray that you'd use us.
God, help us to be faithful. They continued steadfastly. Oh, God, may we continue steadfastly in the things that you've given us and the things we know to do. God, we'll thank you for that. I pray that you'd touch hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open. those disciples did. They just continued. They continued preaching. They continued praying. They continued praising.